You're listening to Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. I am your host, Eric Konovalov, and I believe that we can achieve everything we want if we take our leadership, sales ability, and personal growth to a higher level. On this show, we share ideas on how to break through our invisible boundaries, start taking steps towards our dreams, and create the life we desire. I invite you to open your mind to new possibilities, new ideas, and to the truth that everything you want is possible for you. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another fun episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. Uh, Today's going to be an awesome show. I know I say that every show and every show is an awesome show. Um, I got with me David Redding aka Dread, as in Judge Dread. If uh, you're my age, you've seen that movie with Sylvester Stallone. The reason I reached out to David and asked him on the show is because many of you have probably heard me say that I started working out um, with a group called F3. F3 is now a global group. It's all free. It's only for men, and they are impacting and changing men's lives. And that's what it's done to me in my life. Like I've been pretty disciplined. I've been working out. um, But that camaraderie uh, that I've built, the friendships that I've built with with the members of the F3 group here has changed my life. So I reached out to David because he is the founder. This was his idea from an idea. Now, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men are being impacted across the globe because of one man's idea. So, David, thanks for being here. Welcome. My pleasure. Always honored to talk about F3, just uh, so we start off on the right path. I'm not the sole founder. There was another founder. There's two of us. Perfect. Yeah, so uh, we have joint credit. Who generated the idea? You both didn't get the idea at the same time. Well, you know, it was funny. We were going to a men's workout group here in Charlotte. That's where we live. And uh, he had been going for a couple of years and I started going in the fall of 2009 and met him there. And then that group was was probably 15 men met every Saturday at 7 a.m. and didn't have a personal trainer free. Same thing. And they really didn't worry about membership. I mean, who wants to work out outside at seven o'clock a.m., you know, uh, without a pro? So they had about 15 guys when I got there and they've been going on for three or four years. They're still out there. And uh, within a year, they had doubled in size. Suddenly, at 30 men, and it was uh, they lost the fel- sense of fellowship. And the leader of that group was looking for ways to try to solve the problem as he saw it. And uh, that's how we started our group. Uh, this the other guy, whose F3 name is OBT. OBT and I pitched to him and said, "Look, let us go start another workout group at another location at the same exact time." And we did that thinking, you know, we'd get a few guys, but the first day we had 30 guys Wow! and and then really never, never looked back. So it was, the idea really wasn't ours. The motivation was to take what was already working somewhere else and replicate it uh, simply to give a a place for these, for more men to go, because you get over 30, you get 30 guys at a workout. That's just, that's too many. It's a lot. Yeah. We had a VQ, which means, you know, it's all peer led and this one guy who's never, I mean, he he just ran his first 5K uh, like a month ago and had a bunch of guys supporting that. And he led this workout and just crushed us. Right? It was like a really good workout. Uh, and there was 22 people 
that showed up for him. And that was, you know, that was a lot. So That's I can't lot. imagine 30. Um, 12 to 18 is probably the pocket. Yeah. That 12 to 18 is pretty good. So let me ask you. So it started out as just a workout, like a fitness, men's fitness program. And how did it get to what it is today? Well, it started out, it was a little more than that, but it didn't have any structure to it. It's very amorphous. So the predecessor workout was called the Campos, by the way. So the Campos uh, was very similar to F3. It just didn't have any written materials, didn't really have a, a particular process, just had more traditions. So one of the traditions was everybody got nicknames. Another tradition was at the end, we'd say a few words. We didn't say any prayers or anything, but it was kind of a, people just wouldn't drift away. And the Campos was having impact on men. I mean, I could see it. It was, um, it was solving a uh, male loneliness problem. It was solving the inconsistent fitness problem. You know, uh, it, was, it was very effective. So um, when we started out, you know, the first day was 1-1-11. So we think we've just gone over 11 years this year. Uh, the, when we first started out, it was already, the idea was a workout group with uh, a fellowship component. And what really, we didn't really have planned out was the leadership part of it. I think that's the part that really surprised us that that became necessary. So where did you, okay, I get it, but how did you see the need for leadership? What, what triggered a thought that said, we got to add a leadership component? Well, we needed cues. Uh, I mean, it was a, we, we were filling a need. So, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was in the military as, as you were, I was in the army. Yep. And uh, when I got to the campus, they were, it's kind of crossfit in a way, like they would have kind of like a wad kind of thing, which I was fine with. But I said, you know, for something different, how about I just lead you in PT the way we would in the military? And uh, they reacted very well to that. I mean, they liked it, you know, because it was more interactive. And for some reasons, you know, when you're in the Marine Corps, you like it, you know, it's, it's challenging, but it also gives you a great leadership opportunity to stand in front of other men and actually lead them through a series of exercises calling cadence, uh, just much, much more of a leadership opportunity. So the big difference between F3 and the Campos was that we were using military cadence. And I took the Army system, which is probably similar to the Marine Corps system, simplified it and, you know, and used that. Uh, OBT knew how to do it because he had been doing it with me. Uh, and we, but we always led the workouts. He either he, he did or I did for the first couple of months. We realized we had too many guys. We had like 40 guys consistently. And I said, let's split this up into two. And we grabbed a guy who'd been coming and he was very into it, never missed a week. And his F3 nickname was The Rock. And I said, Hey, Rock, you know, this is going very well. And he goes, You sure it sure is. And uh, we said, uh, I noticed you coming every week. He goes, Yeah, I love it. I said, I think of you as a, as, as a leader and he said yeah yeah I said we're going to start a new workout he said that's great I said you know so we'll have a uh, place for new guys and I said you're the guy who's going to lead a new workout and he goes the hell I am <laughs> I mean he was yes 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 right up to that very moment and I said why not and he goes I don't know how to do that you know it never occurred to me that these guys were kind of you know working out with us and kind of soaking it up but they they didn't know how to do what you know, I'd been taught at Fort Benning as a 21 year old man to do. And uh, they were intimidated by that. So we had to start a little uh, school, which we call Q school. And that just was an hour every Friday for six weeks. And we would bring guys out, teach them the system. And we had kind of a, a 
an oral tradition behind F3 at that point. You know, yeah. we started calling it F3 and we talked through the three Fs and all that. Uh, nothing was written down. And uh, so we, we, we started teaching that. We had our first Q school, had maybe six guys. And uh, then we were able to start another workout. And that is where the leadership idea came from. So it started first with just being able to lead a workout. And then it expanded out to uh, leadership in all areas of, of men's lives, you know, uh, civilian men's lives. Uh, because as you know, I mean, been through the Marine Corps, you get a lot of leadership training. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know where else, in the, if there's anywhere else in the civilian world where they have as effective as a leadership development process as, as we have in the military. So, you know, that's like us, we're the beneficiary on the, on the taxpayer's nickel of some very, I think, valuable training. So what we were trying to do, ob and I were trying to do is take that training, package it into something civilians could learn very easily, and then use it not only running workouts, but, you know, just things in town or around their job or whatever. And that's really where the whole thing kind of morphed from just a workout group and a, a men's fellowship group. It morphed into a, a leadership training group from that point, which is pretty early on, probably six months in. So where does the need? So you were, I mean, you're set, you know, you, your friend, you guys have this workout group of men, you're getting yeah. together. Now you got somebody else leading those workouts. Right. Well, why do you want to grow it? Like, well, where does that we, didn't come really, from? we didn't really want to grow it. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, this is, this is the selfish part about it for me is, you know, I exited the service in 94. You know, I'm on a Friday. I left Fort Bragg on Monday at Wake Forest Law School thinking I'm, you know, a leader and I'm physically fit and this is just who I am. And, you know, this is late August or whatever. By Christmas, I gained 30, 40 pounds mm-hmm. uh, and I turned into something I never thought I was, you know, and uh, I was confronted with the fact that just about everything that I relied upon that made me a leader was the fact that I was in a leadership culture at Fort Bragg, uh, and uh, that that leadership culture did not exist, at least at Wake Forest Law School, nor did it exist at in any of the law firms I was in after that. Uh, it really isn't a leadership culture in the civilian world, the way you and I would know it or recognize it mm-hmm. uh, from the military world. So uh, that affected me. You know, I, had, I was always gaining, losing 40 pounds, 30 and 40, so always doing that, constantly up and down. I, uh, I was inconsistent in my job performance as far as leadership. I was inconsistent in my performance as a husband and father. And I, uh, my motivation in the whole thing was really just to create a culture to hold me accountable so I could be a better, you know, uh, better at all those things. And I mean, I knew I couldn't join the military again, but I said, what if I could replicate the best part of the military day, which for me was PT in the morning, right? I mean, I was the best camaraderie. I just loved it. So that's a big part of it. You know, I was thinking about that already when I went to the campus for the first time. And it's funny, I, I went there on the invitation of the guy and I, I got out there. And I was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for. So I didn't create it. I kind of I pushed it in, in a more military direction and a more purposeful direction. But I, I originally was doing it for a great part for myself. And then also I recently come to faith at that point in my life. And I felt this urge to spread that and having bringing other guys close to me that through working out and fitness was a way that I could develop relationships with men. So that was kind of where I was. I don't think OBT was exactly in the same place, but 
that's that that's kind of where I was. So all I all we really wanted when we first started was to build up a group of about 15 guys. And we thought, you know, from January 1 of 2011, if we gave ourselves around Christmas, we had a good shot of, of, of having 15 guys. Well, by the end of that year, we had three separate workouts. All of them had 20, 30 guys in them in Charlotte. And I think we'd already planted Atlanta. And uh, I can't remember if we'd done Raleigh at that point. Uh, but there was other workouts. People were asking us for it. And the reason they were is because it was successful here. So a guy would say to his brother-in-law lives in you know Raleigh, hey, I'm into this great thing. It's, it's really cool. You should try it. Guy comes down the next time he's visiting. He gets out there. He loves it. He's like, I want this in Raleigh. He goes, what? You know, how can you, you know, how do you transfer this thing? So initially we would go to these places and plant the workouts. And then we wrote a book, Free to Lead, which uh, kind of you could give to a guy. It's like a starter set. You know, you read this book. This is how it's done, you know. Uh, but that, that wasn't because we wanted to grow it. That was not our intent, but it just grew because it, because it was filling a need. It's incredible. We went, we went, uh, to wild packs. We created like, you know, this is my first year. I started with F3 a few months ago and it's just been tremendous for me. And, um, so we're camping and just doing stupid stuff like all day we're running around having chases and like races and burpees and, you could see families who were standing at the campground, kind of like driving by, looking at us like we're crazy. And then one guy just walked up and he's like, hey, guys, I'm an army vet. I'm, I'm up here from Miami. Who are you? Right. You know, we got American flags, got F3 flags everywhere. Sure enough, got information, got, you know, he was super interested. So what do you think? that men? Yeah. yeah, I I mean, I was I'm new here. Right. So I'm a. I just moved to, I just celebrated one year in Florida, but I'm a 41 year old guy who works from home. I don't have a job. I have my own business. I'm at home in a home office. Right. I didn't grow up here. I know nobody. Right. How am I supposed to meet people? So as I meet people, I'm inviting them to coffee. And one guy said, you know, I got a buddy who does this F3 thing. This was a Tuesday. I talked to him. I got his number, called him up. I said, tell me about this F3 thing. He said, well, we're actually working out tomorrow at 5 a.m. Show up. Yep. I showed up and I, every Wednesday now I'm going there at 5 a.m. <laughs> like, right, that's how it works. Right. It, it's just that's been, it it's been great. So we got a lot of taglines, but one of them is that the fitness, there's three of us, fitness, fellowship, and faith. Yep. Fitness is the magnet. <laughs> fellowship is the glue and faith is the dynamite. That's what makes it explode. And faith for us just means a belief in something outside of yourself. So it's pretty tough if you're, say, you're lonely and you're kind of out of shape and you don't have really buddies or whatever, or say you move to a new town or whatever, and then you show up at this workout and initially kind of blows your doors, whatever. It takes a couple of weeks and you start getting in shape, feel pretty good. Start talking to the other guys around you, you get coffee. Suddenly you go, man, I got buddies now, right? Yeah. Uh, at the end of a workout, a guy would be like, hey, man, anybody want to watch the Georgia-Florida game? You know, come on over, right? Now suddenly you got – you know, you're, you're replicating things that you, you had in college or for us in the military. And then after a while of that, you're like, this is so great. I want to share it with people. That's exact. That's the dynamite part, a belief in something outside of yourself. So that's when you start telling your brother-in-law and, you know, that those guys at work and all that. And uh, that's, that's kind of why it works, you know, because we, as men, we all need it. We don't really want to admit it, but most of us are inconsistently fit. And I don't mean obese. Obesity is its own problem inconsistent fitness, you know, going up, going down, 
you know, men will do these bets or challenges or they'll run a marathon or whatever, but that's, that's better than just being a fat guy, but it's not long, you know, it doesn't give you longevity. So this is consistent fitness. And the main reason is because unlike the gym, which is happy to collect your membership fee, even if they never see you again, these guys really want to see you again. You know, yeah, they do. They really do. And you, if you disappear for a couple of weeks, you ghost for a couple of weeks, you're going to get a text or a call or a guy showing up at your house, you know, and, and it's twofold. One, he honestly cares about you too. He cares about himself. And he's like, if I help this guy now, cause this is going to get me, we call that the flux. Every man goes up and every man goes down. And instead of being in a group of men, who was, was as weak as its strongest link. You know, we're a group of men who's strong, as strong as the strongest guy is on any given day. You know, and you'll never run as hard as you'll run with a bunch of other guys. You'll never do as many push-ups as you will with a bunch of guys. I mean, it just it pushes you and maintains your uh, maintains your discipline and uh, keeps you from kind of you know one of those real down you know down cycles. So it just it just works. It's so it's so simple that it makes me laugh when I'll read in New York Times or something. And it'll be talking about this epidemic of male loneliness and oh whoa is what are we gonna do and nobody bowls anymore or whatever. And I'm like, we got this really simple thing. And I used to, I, I used to text, you know, these guys or not text them, but tweet at them or something or try to get their attention. Uh, but I've, I've never had a guy uh, who writes for the New York times or the, I mean, it's really, I mean, amazing how many uh, newspaper articles I've read about or magazines never had somebody take me up on it. You know, we've had Mel, men's health do it. And, uh, you know, some smaller things and we get a lot of local TV coverage and we were on NBC mm-hmm. today show once, you know, uh, but for the most part, I guess it's, it's, it doesn't, it seems too good to be true because it's so simple and it's free. And I think people are waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're like, Oh, you're trying to turn us into Christians. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm a Christian, but I'm not trying to turn you in anything, man. You're yeah. a Buddhist, you're the best Buddhist you can. You know, well, you're just going to, you're you know, going to make us pay. I mean, none of that ever happens. And I think people find that hard to believe that we're not after anything. No, uh, and it's amazing. And yeah. what do you think is, um, what do you think is missing from the guys who actually show up? What's missing in their life? Like, what are you seeing consistently being the same thing in men that they, they may not even be aware of? Right, right. Well, that's what we call sad clown syndrome. Mm-hmm. Sad clown being a guy that's the typical age is 43. It's funny you say 41. That's the mode age, the most common age when you go around the circle trust and everybody says their age. Uh, and a sad clown is a guy that's, that's sad on the out, sad on the inside, portrays himself as happy on the outside because he, that's, what, that's what he believes his culture demands from him. But he lacks purpose. Uh, he spent his life doing things he was told to do that always led to something else. So he says, you know, study hard in high school so you get in a good college, study hard in college so you get a good job, you know, get a good job so you can move up the ladder. I mean, it, you're like, what's the what's the end to that? Like, why am I doing all those things, right? Right. The time right. a guy gets into his early 40s, oftentimes he's got some kids, maybe they're getting a little bit older, you know, they're out of diapers and all that. Suddenly at work, not for you, but a guy who's at work, you know, he walks into the break room and everybody's kind of whispering and he's like, wants to get in on it, but they're talking about him because he's the boss. You know, his father is starting to decline, so they can't really turn to him. But suddenly he realizes that he's expected to be a leader and he's poorly equipped for that role. And he feels overwhelmed by it. 
And and that guy who suddenly has a wife and children and co you know, subordinates at work and his father and mother maybe dependent upon him, is like, what do I do now? You know, and he's been going alone. He's had some work buddies, maybe some college but old college buddies, you know, uh, but he doesn't have that dude who not only is there when he needs him, but is there before he needs him. That's a big part of it for us. Like, you know, when you're starting to head towards the ditch, usually your buddies can see it if they're close to you. And the time to grab you is before you get in the ditch, right? And that's kind of the key to F3. You miss a couple workouts. If you were always there every Wednesday, you miss a couple guys would be like, ah, oh, what's up with that guy, right? And sure enough, half the time we go back and find out the guy's struggling with something. You know, he's drinking too much or something happened at work. Maybe got fired, doesn't want to tell anybody, you know, who knows? All this, listen, all the stupid stuff men have been do, are doing right now is the same stupid stuff men were doing 2,000 years ago. Nothing changes under the sun, right? You can break out the Bible and read the book of Ecclesiastics to see Solomon's right. That's 3,000 years ago. Same dumb stuff, right? We chase money. We chase women. We chase, you know, we drink too much. All the same stuff. And none of that stuff are we equipped to resist on our own. We need help. Wow. How do you define leadership? Leadership is the uh, ability to influence movement to advantage. That's, a, that's the S3 definition. And influence means convincing somebody that where they are is not as good as where you're showing them they could go. You know, it's not coercion. It's not tricking them. You know, that's, that's management or politics or whatever. But, but persuading a man that the status quo that he's clinging to, that thing he thinks he needs to hold on to, that's, that's a, he's at a disadvantage. And there's a, there's a better place for him, an advantageous place, and you influence them to start moving towards that place. So that's our baseline definition of leadership. Yeah, that's great. And in your experience, how do you influence somebody to do that? Well, word and deed. So it's the things you say and the way you say them and the things you do and the way you do them. Uh, and so we have this thing in the book behind you is the, the uh, F3 Handbook on Virtuous Leadership. Yep. What we, def we define as a virtuous leader is a man who uh, has the leadership skills, which are he can visualize that, that advantage and the movement required to obtain it. He can articulate it to other men. He can persuade them to initiate movement and he can exhort them to breach through the obstacles because there's always going to be obstacles when you start moving. So VAPE or VAPE, those are the leadership skills. That's ideally what a leader can do. And if he can't do those things, he can't influence movement. So he's not really a leader, right? He's just, you know, holding down a position. And in addition to that, there's leadership virtues. And this is ideally who he would have a leader be. It's not what he does, it's what he is. So it's his character. And that's five C's. You've heard them in the military. Ours are maybe slightly different. Candor, commitment, consistency, contentment, and courage. And we have, you know, unique definitions for all those things. But a, a, a leader is effective if he has the skills. He can influence movement. But if he doesn't have those characteristics, he's not virtuous. You know, Hitler was effective, but he wasn't a good guy, right? So right. to have that total package takes a lot of discipline and a, and a lot of preparation. And that's ultimately what F3's turned into. I mean, virtuous leadership is our, is our goal. Uh, our purpose of the organization, stated purpose is to invigorate male community leadership. And by that, we mean virtuous leader, leaders of men in their community. We strongly believe that communities that lack male leaders, not that there's anything wrong with female leaders, but communities that lack male leaders are in jeopardy. And they're the kind of communities that are suffering from crime, high crime right now, failing schools, 
uh, high rates of, of unwed mothers. Yeah, I mean, you name the drug use, all, all the ills that beset man and always have, they creep in when males become passive, when they become dormant and turn into sad clowns. So it, you could say that F3 is, is the remedy to that. Man, that's, that's a lot. And it's true. So I've, I've done a fair bit of like leadership development myself. And um, there's this principle in leadership that you got to go to where they are before you can influence them to go to where you want them to go to, right? No one's going to hear you until they feel like they've been heard. That's right. So one challenge, for example, I'm a fit, I was a fit guy, just work out, lift weights. Right. I'm not, I'm not joining F3 for the fitness. I, it kicks my ass. I love the fitness. It's way better than I was doing on my own. But if you told me just to come for the fitness, I'm like, I got my routine. I'm not going. Right. But when I show up to a neighbor who's not fit and I see that they would really benefit by joining F3, he looks at me and he thinks that he needs to be at my fitness level before he can even join. Right. It's almost as if like, you know, in his mind, it's like, well, I'm not like Eric and I don't want to go embarrass myself. So right. Right. Yeah, I'm not ready. So that's our, our credo is that we leave no man behind. And, and, and that reflects one of our core principles is all men are welcome. So we leave no man behind, but we leave no man where we find him. So uh, we don't care what, physical fitness you start out in and you know we're used to the kind of excuses guys give and it's like on the website you know like i you know I, I i'll come out when i'm when i'm in shape i'm like well if i asked you to go get a beer with me would you stop on the way to, to that get to get drunk and he's like why would i do that i'm like exactly you know <laughs> i'm asking you to join a workout group to get fit it doesn't <laughs> make any sense for you to try to get fit on your own you know so uh but that's that's procrastination and a lot of guys are like that. They think they're going to be embarrassed, you know, and that's why we tell them stories. You know, we have what we call a was now. There I was, then this happened. Now, here I am now, right? So uh, I'm 58, just turned 58, you know, um, uh, as fit as I've ever been in my life. And, uh, but I had my, I weighed two, 220 at my worst. So 30 or 40 pounds more than I am right now. And I tell guys that, that story and I say, look, this can happen to anybody. If you, if that's happened to you, that's fine. Uh, here's something that can intercede in your life and help you change that. A lot of guys feel hopeless, right? I mean, and they procrastinate. They say, oh, I'll do a New Year's resolution, which doesn't really work. Yep. You know, what they really need is another guy kind of to help them to, to get their boat upright again so they can start making way, you know, because a, a guy who's a sack clown is like a boat overturned in a river, just kind of turning around in circles. And that's what we can help them do. We call this the emotional headlock. And you're right. You got to go to where a man is. So if you go to a guy and he's fit, fitness isn't the main thing for him, but he's, you know, super lonely, right? Uh, even if he doesn't want to admit it to himself, you know, you got to hit him more in the second F uh, region, right? Say, hey, there's a bunch yeah. of great bunch of guys. A lot of times I'll say to a guy who's really fit, he says, well, I'm really fit. I'm like, yeah, that's why we need your help out there. You know, I mean, appeal to his altruistic side, his missional side, his adventurous side, which all men have. You know, you just got to, you know, you just got to let them know that. Or you tell them how, how much fun it is. I mean, you can go out and run five miles by yourself, or you can run, do a boot camp workout with a bunch of guys. You might get to four or five miles, but in between, you're going to be laughing your butt off, you know, because it's fun. So, you know, we, that, that that's kind of how we do it. The guys who are really good at that are really good at seeing what the other guy, looking at the other guy's objections and obstacles and kind of way, you know, 
figured them out, you know. Yeah. How many members do you have now? Well, we don't have a, don't take a census. So we don't know for sure, but we are in 48 states. I think it's six countries. And I think we have, we estimate based on size of general size of work. I think we're like 25,000, something like that. Wow. I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's not the kind of thing that's ever going to be, you know, I mean, there's 320 million people in America. So 160 million men, you know, take the way the boat, you know, if there's a hunt, if there's a hundred million men in America, we ain't going to have a hundred million men. We're not going to have a, I don't know if we have a million men because, you know, you got to get out of bed in the morning. You got to be able to, you got to be willing to turn over your own, what you feel as uh, dominion over your own self, you know, for like 45 minutes because somebody else is going to leave. There's just a lot of stuff you got to do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, I think that, there is a tremendous untapped population of guys that we will get to ultimately, but we don't kid ourselves and think it's for everybody. You know, of course, of course it's not. Yeah, no, no kidding. So right now you're an attorney. Yep. In, in Charlotte, correct? Charlotte. Yep. I've been here for 20 years. I've been an attorney for almost 25 years. What kind of law do you practice? Commercial litigation. And how has F3 impacted the way you run your business? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, I was, when F3 started, I was a solo practitioner. I'd been in law firms and I was like, ah, I want to do it my way. And I was kind of going it solo. But uh, part of what's developed in the F3 leadership development process is this idea of shared leadership, which is influence through combination. So we never go it alone. We always have teams. We call SLT, shared leadership teams. And uh, as that was developing and I was watching it develop and then put it in the Q source as I saw it, I was also looking at my own law firm and saying it applies in this as well, because litigation really is leadership. I mean, you're trying to, you're influencing judges, you're influencing clients, you're influencing juries, you're, you're really influencing the other lawyer on the other side of it. And to do that, you have to be a leader. So all the same things apply. So I've, you know, we have about 10 people in my law firm now, I went from one to 10, you know, in 10 years. So it's not explosive growth, I'm not looking to have a bunch of people, but I want to have very effective, a very effective team of litigators and support staff so we can deliver value to the client and do so at a, you know, economically, as economically as possible. So as a business leader, how do you lead the team? How do you get them all on the same page? What do you do? Well, it always starts with mission. So in F3, we have a mission just to uh, plant, grow, and serve men's small workout groups in order to invigorate male community leadership. My law firm, has a mission, which is to prepare for trial in order to resolve disputes as effectively and quickly as possible. So that that law firm mission, our litigation mission, drives everything we do in the same way that our mission in F3 drives everything we do. Because there's a lot of things lawyers do that aren't necessary to prepare for trial. So know? David, every sorry to interrupt you, but every single time that we get together for a workout, the, the leader will say the mission out loud. Oh, that's great. Right? That's what we do. Talk about the mission, our core values, and all that. If I asked the 10 people at your law firm, what's the mission of the firm? Would they all know it? Yeah, they better know it. How? Like, how did you make sure that they know it? Talk about it all the time. Uh, I wrote a book about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I ought to do is put up a sign now that you say it, because it's good to have a sign up mm -hmm. uh, to do it. But that's so setting, having a mission, number one, is key. Communicating that mission to your subordinates is, is step two, making sure they understand it. And then you have to equip them 
so that they can do it. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't do them any good not to, you know, they can know the mission, uh, but if they can't perform it, then it doesn't, it doesn't do them any good. So a leader, whether he's a litigator or wherever he works or he's in F3, should always constantly be about the business of teaching everyone he works with everything he knows. He should be just giving that away yes. and constantly teaching them so that they can do what he can do. He's got to do what we, they teach us in the Army, uh, I'm assuming in the Marine Corps, which is totally countercultural. Which right, is your replacement. Work yourself out of a job. That's right. You know, constantly give guys confidence. So what we strive for in F3 and in my law firm is individual initiative over centrally controlled collectivism. So in other words, and anytime I teach, I, I make sure they understand the mission. I teach them everything I know. And then every time they exhibit individual initiative, I reward them, even if it's a failure. So I want guys to take initiative, take the next step. I don't want them to come and ask me. They can, but I don't want them to stop necessary movement because they're afraid that it might fail. I mean, if they're sure they've got all the information and they know what to do, I want them to take that next step. And when they do, I say good initiative, even if it's a failure. Uh, you know, then we manage the outcome. If there's something we got to fix, you know, we fix it. And I'm not talking about moral failures, ethical failures. I'm talking about just failures in judgment or planning or whatever it is. Did the best you could, took initiative. It didn't come out the way you wanted, unwanted outcome. But for uh, F3, the F3 leadership uh, philosophy is that failure is instrumental in leadership development. So, you know, we start out with schooling, which is the Q source, the book. You know, we teach we teach formal leadership, you know, like classroom type leadership. That's step one. Step two is apprenticeship where you're serving under a, a another leader who is skilled and you can see him do it. Step three is opportunity. And that's, you know, you get a chance to lead for yourself. And step four is failure. And we court it. We want it, you know, not because we want unwanted outcomes, but we, we know that you learn far more from your failures than you do from your successes. I mean, you might have just got lucky, right, you know, to succeed. So uh, you can't scale luck. So everything we do is basically AAR driven after action report, right? After action review, you know, what are your sustains? Like it worked, sustain that. Where, your, where are your needs strengthened, needs improvement? So I just did it this year, bring all my people in one at a time. And I say, here's, here's where I, you know, here's what I saw, sustain that. Here's where you need to improve and be specific with them and write it down. So later I can go back to it and say, here's what we talked about. Tell me how you've worked on sustaining that, you know? Uh, hopefully none of it is news to them because, you know, you want to be giving guys feedback along the way. Uh, but I just, I run the law firm the same way, you know, that when I was the leader of F3, which I'm not anymore, uh, ran F3 and really the same way I ran an infantry platoon and a special forces uh, A team, same, same way. Cause those same principles apply, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. With leadership. I mean, you're getting guys to do essentially what you need them to do for a bigger mission and purpose than themselves. Right. You know, so it's like I think we use a basketball coach analogy. Uh, the point guard in the last minute uh, runs the right play, calls the right play, runs it to perfection and misses the layup and you lose the game. Uh, and a virtuous leader would say, great job. And let's let's have, you know, I'm, come Monday, everybody will do, do some layup practice. Right. Just make sure to reinforce that. Uh, but a unvirtuous leader would uh, would castigate that point guard. He would he'd, he'd rip him man, you missed the layup, can't make a layup, you, you know, you lost the game. Well, what you're going to get out of that is the guy will never put himself in a position to miss a layup again. Uh, with the other, with the virtuous leader, the guy is going to put himself in a position to make that layup because you, you reinforce it. So he'll work on that sustain 
and also because you so, showed him, hey, we got to work on layups. He'll improve that, and that's that's the difference between virtuous leadership and 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 unvirtuous leaders leadership. So in my business, I work with executives all the time. I think what I'm seeing with you, first of all, you're a ball of energy for a 58 year old. Not that that's old, but that you're a ball of energy. Like that's, there's guys that's, that's old. <laughs> Yeah, but there's yeah, guys in their thirties that are like trying to go to sleep right now, right? They need <laughs> right. to take a nap from the from the lunch they ate. Right. I so, feel energized. I, I I admit it. Thank you. I can tell um, that's really cool. Um, but number two, you're very clear. Like there there has to be an initiative taken on your part to ask yourself, what do I want for my business? What do I want for each one of these people? What do I want for my clients? What am I creating? Right. To me, it looks like you you take initiative and everything is specific. Like you know exactly what you're doing in those areas. In my world, I can have three executives in the same company and one of the exercises I do. And by the way, if you're listening, try this with your team. Call them in, give them a small piece of paper and say, what's our number one goal this year? Write it down. And I can't tell you how many, I, I don't think anybody's ever got it completely the same. Right. Right. And they're on a mission. They're all on the wrong mission. <laughs> they have their own missions that they're chasing. What's your, what's your, I guess I'm, I'm trying to phrase this. Like what's your habit or practice to look ahead and decide what you're trying to create? And when do you do it? So are you talking about in, in leading a particular. I'm talking about for your company, leading your, leading your law firm. Like when do you set the goal? How do you get agreement? How do you get everybody's buy-in? Because you need that, right? Otherwise, they're not going to do it. Right. So it starts with uh, having a shared leadership team. So uh, shared leadership team is uh, is is what kind of guides the rest of the organization. So ten people is not a big uh, law firm, but even within that ten, I mean, you got to have a smaller kind of group of leaders who come together and they, they, they plot out vision. So that shared leadership team has to have a couple of elements. The first element it, it has to have is, is trust. They have to trust one another. Um, and we, we use that word, um, I don't know, flippantly, I suppose. It was like, oh, of course I trust this guy, or, you know, uh, but trust really means that the other person has determined that they can rely upon you in the worst possible moment, right? There's something about your character, uh, something about your skill that that makes them be able to rely upon you. And building trust is the first thing a leader should be concerned with, with his team. Uh, it's critical. Without trust, nothing, nothing will work. And there's a lot of ways to do it, uh, but there's no better way than to uh, work together in periods of what we call high stress and limited visibility. So, you know, if you go to a military course, you know, they put you in high stress, right? Limited visibility, right? There's, there's nothing more difficult than that. And the guys that can withstand it, not lose control of themselves, not, you know, let their, their fear overtake them, that builds trust. Whenever a bunch of men go out and do an obstacle course or something like that together, something difficult, what we call a CSALP, uh, something completely stupid and utterly pointless together, Yep. <laughs> trust is built, right? Those bonds are built. So you got to start with trust. Then you have to start out, then you have to have mutual confidence. So within a shared leadership team, everyone has to be generally at the same level of competence because if they aren't, you really can't, 
you really can't share. Uh, it, it, it won't work that way. Uh, it's if one guy's way more competent than the other guy, you know, and I don't mean exactly the same, but uh, you got to be close. Uh, and the third thing is proximity, uh, which is going to be my major critique of attempt, corporate America's attempts to, to operate virtually. Proximity means nearness in geography, as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and you know, Zoom doesn't do that. You know, it's better than talking on the phone, but there's something about being in the same room together, you know, being able to smell the other guy's bad breath or whatever. There's something about being just tight, you know, that, that cements that in. And without proximity, I don't think a shared leadership team can be effective. So a shared leadership team operates on a, on a joint, vi joint vision kind of uh, premise. In other words, between the three or four guys on your shared leadership team, somebody's always going to have a vision. Some advantage that's, that's, that's reachable, uh, and he's got to be able to articulate it to the other guys so they can talk about it and say, is this something, is this something we should do? You know, is this something that's going to be advantageous to us? Is the status quo where we are, the stasis or the stability, is this more important? Should we move? Is it time to move? And that's going to be a discussion within those, that shared leadership team that they have because they're proximate. Not during a meeting. Uh, I don't like meetings very much in my mind. Signs, rules, and meetings are the, are the, are the manifestations of failed leadership. You know, it, it should be because you are constantly in proximity with one another. You know, so maybe a guy, you know, comes in your office first thing in the morning and is all excited. All weekend, he's like, had this on his mind. What if we did this, right? And then you, as the leader of the shared leadership team, which is me, uh, you have to be very open to those ideas, even if you don't initially like them. You know, you got to say, tell me more about that. You know, um, a lot of the best ideas in F3 and in my law firm have been ideas that initially I did not like. So, you know, we do a COT at the end of every workout, circle of trust, we gather around, we say each other's names, we talk about our age, whatever we do. I did not really love that idea when I first heard it. And OBT, when he first heard it, was outright hostile to it. So now nah, that's a bunch of kumbaya. And, uh, but we tried it. You know, one of the guys that we were, had been with us from the beginning was his idea. And of course, now it's a core principle, you know? Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you want truly to share leadership, you have to be open to uh, the visions of others and allow them to persuade you. You know, I mean, I'm a, I have a very strong, uh, set of beliefs, but they're loosely held. You know, I mean, I can articulate them. I, usually I'm not going to leave you with much doubt about what I, what I think and believe, uh, but I am persuadable otherwise. So it's not a matter of pride. If you tell me, Hey, I think this thing will work better. I'm going to listen, you know? And uh, if I agree with you that it has the potential to work better, I'm all for trying it. And if it works, I'm all for giving you full credit for it. And if it fails, I'm all for not blaming you. In fact, I try to switch that math. And even if it was really my idea, give you credit for it. Yep. And even if it was your idea and a total failure, I try to take the blame, which is a F3 leadership principle of always pass praise and take blame. So if you pass praise and take blame, uh, again, counterintuitive, you're like, wait a second, that means I won't get credit for all the great things I do. That means I'll be blamed for things I didn't even do wrong. Yep, yep. it does. And it works like crazy. Why? I don't know. I'm like a dog looking at a ceiling fan. It's just, I don't know how it's working, but it's blowing <laughs> air on me and it feels good. Right? So, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things. It works because people who you constantly give praise and credit to, but but take their faults and blame it on yourself as if it was your fault. 
they want to do more for you. They're well, going to do more for you. Motivating. Right. Yeah, and it's going to be motivating. And you're the type of leader that empowers them to do it. All right, here comes it. Every leader has failures, right? I mean, we learn from them. Nothing, nothing crazy. Every what's, virtuous leader has has a long list of. Yeah, good. what's what's one of yours that really shaped the way you see leadership today? Like an aha moment, maybe in the military or in the corporate world that you can share. Oh yeah, well, gee was I? You know, I got a, I got a million of them. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a army one, and I'll give you a uh, a lawyer one that just happened the other day. Because lawyers, leaders are always learning. As soon as you stop learning, you stop leading. So uh, when I was a platoon leader in the military, so I had about 30 guys as part of a company, you know, it had multiple platoons in it uh, with a company commander. Uh, we had, you know, battalion meetings like every week, every other week, whatever. So if the company commander's not there, I would just sit in for him. And uh, so on this particular day, he sent me up. I couldn't go to the meeting. and I, So I'm, I'm, I'm acting as the company commander. So battalion commander starts asking questions about a particular training exercise that in my company that had been a failure. Actually, it was my platoon that had failed, ironically. So I'm sitting there, I was a scout platoon leader. I'm sitting there as the company commander talking about the failures of the scout platoon, which I am the, I'm the, really the scout platoon leader, which he knows, right? So uh, he's like, I don't understand why this happened and that happened. What the, and uh, there really is only one correct answer to that, which is to acknowledge what's clearly true, right? Uh, not make excuses for it and tell the boss how you're fixing it or plan to fix it. That, that's really the only way to do it. Um, you have to take the blame uh, for whatever happened, you know, whatever got, didn't happen um, or, or happened incorrectly and pass as much praise as you can. Anyway, so I did the exact opposite. I've been in the army maybe 18 months or whatever. Not had all the training you could possibly have. I've been airborne school, ranger school, and I had no excuse for what I did. I mean, I knew take pass praise and take blame. I knew it here. And I'd seen my boss do it because he was my apprentice many times. And I'd done it some, but it wasn't here. So he looks at me. And I said, well, sir, the problem is they keep taking these guys who can't keep their security clearance because we are a nuclear weapons security force. And so guys would lose their clearance for getting drunk or whatever. And I keep putting them in a scalp platoon. So I end up with all the ash and trash. That was my response. So I'm sitting there. The guy next to me, like major captains, they just kind of move away. Are you a lieutenant at this point? I'm a lieutenant. Yeah. Now, essentially what I've done, I didn't quite understand it in the moment, but essentially what I've done is blame the sergeant major uh, because he's responsible for personnel assignments. Um, and uh, <laughs> the company sergeant major, major or the battalion sergeant major? sergeant major? The battalion sergeant major. Okay. And you're talking to who, a colonel? Yeah. So battalion commander's colonel. Yeah. He's okay. Battalion sergeant major sitting next to him. Oh. <laughs> He's been in the army for 30 years. I've been in the army for a year and a half, but I outrank him, right? Right. Yeah. The lowest second lieutenant outranks the highest sergeant major. Yeah. Even though there's just a wee bit gap in our knowledge and experience. Anyway, right. so what I've essentially have said is if my platoon fails, because sergeant majors give me bad men. Guys next to me move out of the way because they don't want it, they know I'm about to be dismembered and they don't want any of me landing on them. 
And that guy, that battalion commander, he just launches mm. and delivers a, I mean, grade A, full-blown, asked you and just, just fire breathing. And I deserved every bit of it. And I received it in front of, you know, there's 10 men in the room, probably the 10 men I respected most in my, my tank, my company commander, what happened, didn't happen to be there. Um, probably the 10 men I most respected in my young life at that point. I mean, to be basically dismembered in front of the most important older men in your life, uh, from the most important guy in your life is quite an experience. Um, it was a huge leadership error on my part. And I found out about that error very, very quickly. Uh, about three days later, I was in a mess hall uh, getting dinner by myself. And I saw the battalion commander come in and I hadn't seen him since that asked you. And uh, he gets his dinner and he's walking around and I was the only officer sitting in the tunnel. And he sits down with me, starts talking like nothing had happened. Um, tells me a couple of Vietnam stories. That's how old I am uh, about that he had gone through. And uh, I remember thinking after that, I was like, this guy, he just did it. He did exactly what he had to do in the moment. He might've enjoyed it a little, right? But for the most part, he did it to serve a purpose, which is to develop me as a leader. He took my failure and he taught me something incredibly important that I could have learned no, no other way. He took that idea of pass the praise and, and take the blame from here and maybe from here, my hands, and put it on my heart. And I've never failed since then. I mean, not in the military, not as a husband, not as a lawyer, I believe, to, to take the blame and pass the praise. It became automatic. So that's what we talk about with failure. When you go to a leadership school, it they, they give you head knowledge, which is great. You know, you're sitting in a classroom. When you're apprenticing, you know, your young guy, and that's great because it turns it into hand knowledge. You, you learn how to use it, but you got to fail, man, to have it written in here. You got, you got to fail. Uh, so that's my army leadership failure story. Uh, my, Can I ask you really quick while we're on that? Yeah. yeah. Knowing what you know well, now. One of my, mil actually one of my yeah. millions. Of cars, yeah. But that's the one that stood out. And that's the one that came forth in your mind to share with us. Yeah. And well, yeah. Pretty, it's, yeah, that's a scary a thing as a second yeah. lieutenant or a first lieutenant, whatever it was. Yeah. But, right. you know, knowing what you know now, if you were the battalion commander and another lieutenant did the same thing you did, would you have handled it the same exact way as the commander did? Or what would you have done differently? Uh, I, I would have handled it. I, the substance would have been the same. The tenor would have been slightly different. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I have a different leadership style. And you have to have your own leadership style, which you develop over the years. Um, he had one speed and his one speed basically was, you know, ass ripping. Right. And when it came to that. Yeah. Uh, he he was just that kind of guy. Uh, he was like I said, he's a Vietnam vet. Uh, you, I remember he was from Vermont. I remember. I remember everything about this guy. Uh, I won't say his name in case he's out there. Uh, but he was. Uh, this is just kind of who we were. That was his style. And my style is a little more, uh, I think of myself as kind of a funny dick. Like I'm a dick, but I'm funny about it, right? 
<laughs> been, you know, like so I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to mock a guy into his realization, you know, that he'd screwed up. So instead of being like, I'm going to tell you one thing, if you never bet, you know, I probably would have been like, oh, so Sergeant Major's fault that you felt, you know, I yep. mean, tell me what Sergeant Major did exactly, which one he, no, I would, <laughs> no, that's, that's more my leadership style. So number one, I would have handled it differently on that score. But number two, although the hearts of, of men have changed, uh, have not changed since the first caveman led his cave dwellers up to higher ground, the way that you reach men does change over time. Like, I don't think Vince Lombardi could coach the way he coached today. I mean, I don't think you could, I don't think Bear Bryant, I don't think Nick Saban coaches the way Bear Bryant did. Uh, because I think men, uh, young men in particular, who are in their early 20s, have not, are, are, have been raised differently than say I was. And that the way he talked to me would have been too much for a 20, I guess I was 22, for a 22 year old man today, in my opinion. It was effective. It, did, it wasn't too much for me. Uh, but you, this is kind of leave no man where you find him. But, you know, you got to you've got to be able to temper the way you talk to somebody based on where you find them. And um, I. So I, I would have handled it the same in a sense, substantively, but, but procedurally, this is what you're still, the way I went about it would have reflected more of my leadership style and more of the fact that it's, that was 1986 and it's now 2022. I, I would have handled it differently. Fair enough. So the thing I screwed up the other day was <clears throat> I had a young guy writing a brief uh, for the appellate court. Uh, he's been around for a while, so he knows how to write. He was struggling with the brief, which I should have realized, but didn't, didn't realize, uh, it was due on a Monday and on Saturday I got COVID. So generally the way we do things is uh, I get the briefs like a day out. If he gave it to me on Sunday, I would have read it. It's supposed to be 95% complete, you know, and I kind of sharpened it up or whatever. Well, I didn't get it on Sunday, but I didn't notice cause I was flat on my butt with COVID. And uh, I got a text from him right before I went to bed on Sunday night that basically said, I'm struggling. Uh, I'll send you what I have, but, uh, you know, I'm going to need help. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I didn't respond. I was sick. Well, the next morning I came in, I felt terrible. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. This thing's got to be followed by midnight. And I look at what he did and it was unsatisfactory. Um, and I realized that I was going to have to, to do it. I was going to have to spend take over like we didn't have enough time for me to train and teach me mm -hmm. uh, and i was gonna have to take over and i was really sick and the last thing i felt like doing was writing a brief for the next 12 hours really i should have been in bed uh but i did it um in the midst of that he uh was asking me some questions and um i was unkind to him you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't yell at him or anything, but I, you know, I did not, I let the way I felt because I had COVID change the way I led. I wouldn't have led that way. Uh, also, I was mad at him because he, I felt like he put me in a position uh, that I had to, you know, jump through my butt to get this done. And then, 
Uh, so I was very short with him. And I know this guy looks up to me and he's, you know, um, I, um, I, it's an important role in my life as a leader and a lawyer to, to help him develop, not just as a lawyer, but as a man. So uh, I got that, I got the thing done. We got it filed. It was fine. And uh, I was out of the office Tuesday, Wednesday, recovering. And then on Thursday or Friday, rather, I came in and I knew that I had to talk to him, that I had failed, I'd failed him. Um, because I had not, I'd lost control of my emotions. I, even though I didn't yell at him, I had not rewarded any of his initiative. I was just like, just put this stuff down on my desk. I'll get it done. We don't have time for this anymore. I was very short with him. And I, and I, and so I, I did what I felt like I had to do at that point, which is to tell him that I was sorry that I had done that, that I had um, not paid enough attention to him when he was struggling up until that weekend. And that when I came in on Monday, uh, that I had not maintained my composure. And uh, he was very nice about it. He's like, well, you know, you were really sick and all that. And I was like, yeah, but that's not really, that's not a legitimate excuse in my mind. Um, I should I was thinking you put me in this position, but I put you in that position because the leader is responsible for everything that happens and fails to happen. And a leader that uh, puts the blame on his subordinates is not a leader at all. So long story short, even though I've been doing this for 37 years, being a leader, I've been a leader for 37 years, I still screw up, you know, and I, I still step on my crank. And, and I would say the only the only difference now between step on my crank now and step on my crank three years ago is I can see it very clearly. I'm very aware of the crank stepping and am much more prone to say, you know, I, I screwed up. Here's how I screwed up. I'll try not to let it happen again. But uh, those are two leadership failures, two of probably 798 or something like that, 1,000. Hey, that's all right. I, you know, I could tell that your level of awareness is pretty high. And the way you said that came in, I said, I'm sorry. I think that's missing from a lot of leaders. We carry that ego with us that if I say I'm sorry, I'm weak. And sure. I think that's fear. Like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's fear. Uh, and, I, you know, it's leadership training. It's like uh, even in the military, sometimes we get this real defect thing. And, you know, guys want to cover stuff up sometimes, you know. But um, it's, I, I think men are right now are afraid to admit, afraid to admit weakness. It's not that they, so much that they're too proud to do it. They're just afraid to do it. And uh, they're afraid to do it because the organizations of which they are, are a member do not, do not reward failure. You know, they do not reward initiative rather. They simply punish failure or they ignore failure for so long that the guy kind of just drifts along until it's so dire that they have to fire the guy. So where exactly are you in Florida right now? By Sarasota. Okay. So, you know, like you take the coach of the Jaguars, right? Urban Meyer who just got fired very recently. Mm -hmm. He got fired for a variety of reasons, but essentially one of them was he was caught on screen, you know, fondling some young girl after a loss. And then, he said some really kind of crazy things to his players and just exhibited poor leadership. Well, 
anybody who's been watching his career for the last 20 years knows that that's always how he's been, but he's been able to win. And because he's been able to win, the organizations of which he's been a member have tolerated that. And even though this guy, he's probably my age or close to my age, he has not learned from his failures at all. He's been allowed to cover them up. And uh, he can cover them up until such point where, you know, the organization's absolutely confronted with the fact that he's has a moral problem, right? And that's what they've really finally fired him for. Um, and uh, although he's the one who's responsible for all that, I would say he's probably led his life in one organization after another that did not have a leadership culture, did not have a virtuous leadership culture. They had a kind of success culture. And uh, that, what that's, that, that breeds some bad, bad behavior in men. Because we're going to get up to the same shenanigans, you know, that we'll get up to absent people holding us accountable. And uh, I, 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 I hope, and I guess it's my mission with F3 is to take these timeless leadership principles and make them accessible to men, younger men, uh, men who really want to be leaders and, and try to help them to be uh, virtuous leaders so that they can be an asset to their community. That's kind of what, drive, what drives me, uh, which makes you know doing this easily. It makes being on this podcast easy because I get a chance to talk about it. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate you being here, David. And I know we've ran over your time a little bit. Um, just want to say thank you. Wow, really flew by. Was that? It flew by because I because I flew by. Yeah. 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 I can talk to you all day. But um, listen, if you're out there, if you're a man, and um, even if you're in good shape, but you're missing that camaraderie, you're missing that there's just something missing in your life. You don't have a support system for when you're down. Maybe your kids are getting out of control. Maybe you and your wife don't have the best relationship. I don't know what it is for you. For me, F3 is just a place I look forward to going because I'm surrounded by, I'm surrounded by like-minded individuals who want me to succeed. And they're doing something that's bigger than themselves. So check out f3nation.com. Find a workout near you. Go check it out. It's all free. All you have to do is commit to waking up a little bit earlier and getting out there, even if it's cold. <laughs> All you got to be is a man or at least be one to say you are. You know, and, uh, we're not going to ask too many questions. That's right. Yeah. Say you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that is the one qualification that you must have. Yeah. And, yes. Good point. <laughs> David, thanks for being here. This is oh, my pleasure. Honor. Thank you. Have a great day. You've listened to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a nice review. And if you're not a part of our tribe on Facebook, be sure to head over to Facebook and join Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Tribe. I look forward to speaking with you in the tribe. Have a great day.